goes on to say, while his family sees his change, he's not perfect and still struggles. And so there's ups and downs in his relationship with the Lord and his growth. And life can be hard, right? We all have our journey and our walk with the Lord. There are ups and downs. Life can be hard. But there are victories, right? I was just thinking of Romans 8, 37. We're overwhelmingly conquerors in him, right? But the journey, <laughs> there's ups and downs. We know who has won the victory. God has. And having come to know Christ as our Savior, we are victorious. And we have overcome. And yet there's still this battle. It's, you know the, the battle's won, but we're still in the midst of it. And in the midst of that battle, and those little, little, and so let's set aside, yes, we're victorious in Jesus Christ, but on the way there, there's these ups and downs, right? And those ups, those little victories on that journey, we should relish those and enjoy those when they come. So the challenge I have for you this morning is press on in the faith. Press on in the faith. Waiting for the, those little victorious moments and understand that they will gloriously lead on into eternity where we know, hey, there's no more struggle, there's no more strife. Because when I look at this passage here today in 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46, we find that here we have a wonderful victory. One of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament of, of, you know, we could think of several, but he's one that really sticks out with some of these things that have taken place. I mean, that what we looked at last week, holy guacamole, right? Okay. I don't think guacamole's holy, but anyway. Um... Oh my, right? And yet, here we have him at this high point, and it's just a momentary victory. Elijah, who is a great man of God, gets to enjoy his victories for a long, long time, right? Nope. Not really. But this was a tremendous nation-changing victory. To press on in faith, though, he needed to, and we need to have the right focus. And so I want to challenge you this morning with three core truths that you should be well aware of. And you're like, oh goodness, haven't we gone over this before? Probably. So I hope it's familiar for you, and that you cling to these truths, and you Use them in your journey because there are victories, but yes, those are oftentimes momentary. So the first core truth is we need to know the power of God. We need to know the power of God. 
And when we look at this passage and look at chapter 18, I encourage you to read over it. Last week we really flew through this passage and we really did see the power of God. We saw that God judged powerfully. How did he judge powerfully? Well, first and foremost, we see the drought that took place. It was three and a half years of drought between the time Elijah confronted King Ahab and now to this point. Just starting there, we also look at the false prophets and what happened there. But let's, let's look, read this passage, okay? All right. 1 Kings 18, 41, in verse 40, Elijah slew, killed the 450 false prophets. In 41, now Elijah said to Ahab, Ahab, the wicked king, who is now at this moment listening to Elijah because of the power of God which was revealed. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. Seven times this took place. Verse 44, It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and, and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So just to set the stage here, right? Remember, and we could go to James. Chapter 5, I believe 16 and 17 or 17 and 18, we know it was three and a half years of drought. The nation and the king should have been prepared because in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah goes and he tells King Ahab, there will be no rain except by my word. Here's three and a half years later, the people's hearts should have been softened. We think maybe it was. They were. The people should have been ready. We have this great confrontation. And God reveals himself powerfully as Elijah. Remember, they, they dumped probably sea salt water on the sacrifice making it very, 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 and some say that that ditch was probably two furrows deep, right? You know what a furrow is, you farmers, right? Good Two plow levels deep, filled it up, overflowing. Salt, interestingly enough, salt was used as a, a purifying aspect of a sacrifice. But anyway... They chanted all day long, no fire. No fire from heaven, no fire from Baal. 
Elijah prays, remember? Fire from heaven. Fire so intense, it licks up the water. That is, it makes all the water evaporate. And so God has revealed himself and prepared their hearts, not just in this fire, but in the drought. Three and a half years. That's bone dry, right? We had a little rain this week, and I, before that, I said, man, we're so stinking dry. We're dry. We still are, <laughs> and we've had a little rain. Imagine three and a half years. Hmm. You know, I would have thought that these people would have repented by now. I would have repented about the first six months, wouldn't you? First year, surely year and a half. But three and a half years later, we have this conflict. And now, what about King Ahab? Hmm. Seems like he received it well. He didn't interfere between Elijah and these false prophets when Elijah dealt with them. But God judges powerfully. And he, was, he had judged through the drought, and he had judged also the false prophets. Not only does God judge powerfully, but God works powerfully. Not only the fire from heaven, right? But the coming rain. In this passage we see that Elijah told the king to go up and eat, for the rain was coming. He could hear it. (laughs) This is a figure of speech. You know, commentators, you know, try to get too specific sometimes. I think he's saying, hey, it's coming. I can hear it. I know it's coming. Well, maybe he heard it. I don't know. But that, remember, after the seventh time of his servant looking, it just but a size of a fist as he looked out across the sea. But God works powerfully, not just in the fire, but in the rainstorm. And we need to remember God's great faithfulness. He is faithful to work powerfully even today. Don't you believe that God will keep His promises? Won't He? Don't you think that God will continue to work powerfully? God keeps His promises because He is faithful. What about Psalm 100 verse 5? This is a Thanksgiving psalm. It's a little early, I know. We're a couple months from that. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Praise God that not only is He powerful, but He is faithful. God is God, and therefore He, he can, therefore, because of His power, be able to remain faithful, right? Psalm 119, verse 90. Psalm 119, verse 90. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. Hey, we're still here. Israel's still here. What a great, fantastic, powerful picture of God's faithfulness. Despite 
the destruction of World War II, despite of the rising anti-Semitism today, God's not done with Israel. But that's why I believe Satan works so hard to drive people to hate the Jewish people. But I suppose we all know the power of God, don't we? Amen? We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the the power of the Lord God, or we know the power of the Lord God, that Jesus is alive and he is not in the grave. And oftentimes we see these big problems come our way. Right? How many of you have problems in your life? Anybody not have a problem? Maybe it's a little problem that runs around, jumping on things that shouldn't jump on. No? Well, I'm not talking about puppies. They're a problem too. Right? Puppies, dogs, they're problems. And I see some of you smiling. But we have big problems too, don't we? Heartaches. Continued sicknesses or health issues, whether they're big or small or recent. And then we can focus on that problem and not on our powerful God. Do you understand what I'm getting out here today? If we look at the problem and it's right there before our face, can we see anything else? Yeah, we need to look at the problem in order to try to solve the problem. But if we are not looking at God first, then this problem looks so big, so difficult, that it can never be solved or dealt with. But if we look at the Lord God, the problem shrinks. God is more powerful than the problem. And for Ahab, (laughs) who still needed, I believe, to repent, and the children of Israel... The problem was a three and a half year long drought, but Elijah knew what God had promised. And Elijah knew that all he had to do is but pray. And so I want to challenge you today if you think that it's too difficult and things are just too heart wrenching, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And press on. And when those victories come, enjoy them, but know that you need to press on. Enjoy those victories, but we have a long road ahead. But one day, when we are in glory, praise the Lord, all will be better. The second core truth is not only that we need to know the power of God and remember the power of God, but the second core truth is we need to trust in the promise of God, which I've already just almost breached just a little bit. And here in this passage, I want you to see something. There, there here in this passage, we find that there is a promise. There's a specific promise. And to... Ahab and the children of Israel through Elijah, there is a promise, hey, it won't rain until it's by Elijah's word, and God promises as well, and that's in 17.1, and when God spoke to Elijah several times, each time Elijah obeyed, and so we know in verse 1 of chapter 17, when he confronts Ahab, that he is doing what God wants him to do. And then we come to here in verse chapter 18, look at verse 1 in chapter 18, when 
this whole ordeal begins, this whole confrontation, glorious confrontation, where God reveals his power, we find, now it came about after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So here's the promise again. 17.1, Hey, rain's coming. So we find here a specific promise for a specific people at a specific time. I can't claim that promise. It's not for me. Except for to see that God keeps his promises. Any promise that is relevant to me in Scripture, I can trust that God will keep his promises. So we find here that he went and he confronted Ahab and now we have this confrontation and now the victory over the, con- over the, the false prophets and the false God. And there's faith in the Lord God to fulfill the specific promise. At least by Elijah. Right? But Ahab believed Elijah. Maybe he, he was believing Elijah. I don't know. If, I don't really think he believed in God yet, but there's this powerful prophet and he's doing magnificent things. I'm going to listen to him. Praise the Lord for his promises, right? Are there any promises that are specific that we can apply to our lives? Here's just a couple because we don't have time for all of them. But as believers in Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that a promise? God is with us. Oh, Jesus is with us. Praise the Lord, right? How about Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, it's far better to follow Jesus and do what he says than it is to do it on your own. He doesn't say there's no burden. <laughs> it's light. It's easy if you follow Jesus. Are you obeying Christ? Are you following him? John 15, 24. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. He hears our prayers and he answers. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. Many of you know this is one of my favorite verses. I will not leave you as orphans. Here's a promise. I will come to you. I will come to you. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming again. But also in a couple of these I mentioned here, they're not just a specific promise. It's a conditional promise. And for Elijah, he had to go. Chapter 18, verse 1, he had to go and confront Ahab. He had to go and put his life on the line. He had to go up there on Mount Carmel. He had to go up there and listen to the raving lunatic false prophets of Baal. And then he had to do some specific things, even 
taking care of those false prophets who were a blight on the nation, destroying the nation of Israel. And he had to go and pray again. Elijah was supposed to obey and he was supposed to pray. Many of us, where are we? Do we pray and do we obey? You know, there are unconditional promises in Scripture. Jesus is coming back whether we do what we're supposed to do or not. Amen? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Jesus will judge. And Jesus forgives. Are we willing to jump in the middle of that promise and allow His forgiveness? God is not done with Israel, as I had mentioned before. That's an unconditional promise. There were some conditions within that promise, and that's why there's been a struggle. But he has specific promises that are unconditional. So conditional. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 27-28 uh, is not really conditional, but we are to make disciples. But Jesus is with us. One here I think is conditional. Sometimes we don't really think about as Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I know we mentioned it last week. John and I. With our spouses there after church, right? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, here's the condition. By prayer and petition or supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses or transcends all comprehension or understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, what's the condition? We need to take everything to the Lord Jesus Christ and leave it with Him. And it may mean a great deal of prayer. Continual prayer all our lives. But I believe if you're willing to rest in Christ, you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. It may not fix the situation at that moment. You may have to bear through it, but remember, His burden is light. Are you walking with Christ? And kids, hey, youth out there today, I want to challenge you. You may want to do other things. You may want to do it your own way. You may want to follow the crowd. You may want the other boys or girls to invite you into their group, and so you're unwilling to do what God wants you to do. Are you willing willing to step out of your comfort zone? Adults? Maybe the Lord wants you more involved in a certain ministry in the church. Maybe you're tired (laughs) of the ministry you're involved in in the church. Cling to the Savior, Jesus Christ. He will help you through. I want you also to see not only is a specific and and a conditional promise. Here for Elijah, he had to obey. And then also, what was the other thing he had to do? He had to pray. And we see that here in verses 41 through 46. He, he goes up. 
He tells Ahab, hey, go eat and drink. And then Elijah went up in 42 to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, what is he doing there? He's almost he's in like he's in a fetal position, humbling himself before the Lord in prayer. And then in hope, he says, hey, go look to his servant. And he did this seven times and looked before he saw this promise beginning to be fulfilled. But Elijah continued to obey God, and once God defeated, and, and once God had dealt with the false prophets, here we have Elijah praying. And he knew the rain would come if he would obey and pray. Right? Going back to 17.1 and 18.1, we see the promise, but there's a condition there. Hey, you need to pray. And I don't know why God does it, but he chooses to use his people to fulfill his task. God could have just, hey, rain right away. But for us, I think that there's a lesson. Even if it's God's will for it to be done, we are to pray for his will to be done. Hmm. Seems like a a prayer the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your will be done. So here at this momentary victory, we see what Elijah does. He continues to follow the Lord God. And then the promise happens, right? He goes back seven times, and then so it came in 45, about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. You know, 44, he had told his servant, hey, go tell Ahab, he better get on his way. Those chariot wheels might get bogged down. And then 46, the hand of the Lord. He has a victory here. He sees the rain, and it's raining. And so Elijah, in the strength of the Lord, and this is a strange passage, but he was overjoyed. He was, he was strengthened by the Lord, and he outran King Ahab. Whether the wheels were muddy, and it was slowing the chariot wheels down, and there's difficulty for the king, still, Elijah outran him. Uh, maybe it's the wrong direction. <laughs> Let me ask you, how about you? Maybe you know the power of God. But do you obey the Lord trusting in His promises? And when I was a kid, my parents brought in this old chicken coop. And then we were allowing our chickens to use this chicken coop. So by the time it came summer... I was tasked with uh, the job to clean this chicken coop. Several layers over many years left by those chickens. Very hard work. Halfway through, I could have gave up. I don't remember what the promise was, but my parents had promised me uh, maybe a little cash. You know, it's amazing how I worked for so little, so hard when I was young. I worked for like a dollar each time I mowed a yard so I could buy a nice used bicycle for my grandparents. The promise of that bicycle carried me through the work. Even though the handlebars were so stinking tall and I was easily worn out. This chicken coop, who would want to clean that out? But there's a promise. I want to tell you now, 
remind you now, no matter how difficult your task, and maybe if it's, it's a lot more difficult than somebody else's, keep at it. Because there's a great promise for you and a great reward. So press on in your faith. Take up those wonderful momentary victories knowing it leads you on into eternity. Someday we will cross the finish line. The third core truth that you should all know and be very familiar with is we are to pray the will of God. I already referred to this once, but look at, look at Elijah here in 1 Kings 18, 42, and he's praying, but he humbly prays. The king was feasting. Elijah was up there on his hands and knees in a fetal position praying humbly. Even after this wonderful victory, he humbly went to the Lord. Be careful. After a great victory, there can be, we can be very susceptible to a great fall. Humbly pray to the Lord. Follow him. Not only do we need to humbly pray, and when we humbly pray, that's being willing to set aside all of our selfishness. All of our own perceived glory. To take it to the Lord. We need to go to the Lord in prayer humbly. But fervently pray. Look at 43 through 45. How many times was it? We've said this over and over again. Seven. No sign. But then there it was. Not only that, we need to powerfully pray. How do we powerfully pray? I think this is tied in with our humility. Knowing that sometimes the things that I want are not God's will. Knowing that knowing that I need to search out the Scriptures and have a relationship with the Lord. And in that, I will understand what the will of God is. We need to pray for God's will to be done. We need to pray selflessly. And we need to pray by faith that God will do what He says He will do. Are you willing to stand in the trenches fighting fervently as you pray that God's will would be done? As mentioned above, after all this takes place, Elijah ran toward Jezreel. Ahab saw all that he had been, been and what, all that had been done. But now Ahab had gone on to Jezreel as well. I don't know if I said Elijah or Ahab, but Ahab saw all that had been done, but now it was on to Jezreel, and Elijah ran to, toward Jezreel as well. 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Wrong direction. All this had already just taken place. Great victory. 
Then there's Jezebel. Ahab. You know, the greatest men and greatest women oftentimes have the greatest battles to fight. And as we will read on, we will see that Elijah needed to hang on to these core truths. Do not look at the difficult and overwhelming problem. Trust in the power of God. Do not forget that not only do we have victories, but in the valley, that there are promises that God will fulfill. Always be willing to take it to the Lord in prayer. So I want to challenge you today, as we look at this powerful man, and, and James, it's interesting, a man, he says, Elijah, man much like us, right? Same difficulties that we have. Elijah. Don't glorify Elijah. He had his struggles. But know that we are to fight the battle just as he fought and fight it courageously, enjoying those momentary victories, but keep on pressing on. Keep on keeping on. Romans 8.37 But in all these things, notice the context, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. What matters? Jesus loves us. What will we do? Maybe even march to our deaths. deaths. Verse 36, let's pray. Lord, we know beyond this life is glory, and we look forward to when we are with You. But in this life, help us to be faithful people who are pressing on every day, that we would press on, faithfully focused on obeying You, Lord Jesus. That we'd understand the wonderful truths that You've given us and Your wonderful promises. Help us to be a people fully committed and fully engaged in this battle. Fully committed to You and fully engaged in the battle on this earth as we look towards that time when you return. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, praise the Lord for what Jesus has done. Right? Don't forget it. We see many things today that are astounding. People of power and great position saying things that are contrary to the Word of God who may invoke the name of God. Interesting how history repeats itself. Let's fight the fight and continue to look to Jesus. Amen? Young men, will you, or young men, will you come up and we'll take up this morning's offering? I do think it's important for us. We say, okay, you know, I need to learn something new. I'm struggling. I need to learn something new from the Word of God. Sometimes we need to be reminded from the Word of God, what we've already learned.